So here we are in the second week of August. How are you doing living on your card? Remember your card from last week, right? My, my passion, my purpose is the theme for the month. And last week we talked about what's your deal. And you had your cards. You were here to be something, right? I am here to be love. I am here to be joy, service. I am here to be compassion. What was written on your card? What were some of your words? Compassion, love, empathy, service. Okay, these are awesome, right? These were the words. These are what was written on our card. And then the end of it was in the world, right? I am here to be compassion in the world. I'm here to be love in the world. These are our passions. And when we are living on purpose, we're living from those passions, right? We're living from those qualities of God that we know as truth. We choose to live from, from compassion. We, we choose to live from love, from joy, uh, from all of those positive qualities. And then we find ways to be that in the world. When you choose to live on your card, when you choose to live from love, from joy, from compassion, then you're, you're, you build your purpose in the world, right? And you find ways, spirit, find ways for that outlet through you. You know, we, we just got back from the Asilomar retreat experience. Yay, it was awesome. We had a big, a big vision contingent, right? We had a big group, Cynthia, Cindy, Mark and Rita, um, Reverend Diane, uh, Ron Young was there, Betty, you were there, uh, Lee and John. It was huge. We had a big old vision contingent. It was wonderful. And the soon-to-be Reverend uh, Paul Domaleski from San Francisco, you know, he's the... He's the um, the practitioner here that does a lot of the phone calls, the uh, prayer calls. Yeah, we call him San Francisco Paul. Okay, he was there. Oh, my God. It was just awesome. Vision was very well represented this year. I think there were 12 of us anyway. Yeah, yay. And first-timers, right? It was interesting. On the first evening, there's like almost 400 people in Merrill Hall, and they asked um, about about the first-timers. Stand up if this was your first Asilomar experience, and almost a quarter of that room stood up. I was just amazed at the amount of first-timers. How brave, right? How brave. And Vision, we had our own first-timers there, didn't we? Who was, who was there for the first time? Cynthia? Yeah, look at that, Mark and, and Rita, uh, Rita. And who else? Was there anybody else there? Betty, that was your first time there, too. Yeah. And so, ah, and what did we do up there? Right? Was there weird stuff? <laughs> right? Did you, were you let in on the, like, the secret handshakes, you know? <laughs> and the chicken blood and the, you know, <laughs> oh my God, are we a cult? What have I gotten myself into, you know? No. What was up there? There was love. There was joy. There was, oh my God, there was fantastic music, right? There was just incredible things. Okay, there was that one time we tore a hole in the space-time continuum, <laughs> and we invited in the energy of Ernest Holmes, but that's like a whole nother story for a different day. First, <laughs> so first-timers, like, really, what did you see up there? <sighs> a bunch of people living on their card. Really, that's what you saw. That's what's happening at Asilomar. A bunch of people living on their cards living from joy, musicians living from their passion, right? Oh, my God. And, and blissing us out with their music. You saw lots of hugs. You saw lots of glad to spend this time catching up with you. 
and you saw lots of mind, body, and care going on. You know, the ground at Asilomar is holy ground, right? Now, of course, I know all of the earth is holy ground, right? Because it is, well, it is the body of God. God made everything out of itself, so the earth itself, right, is the body of God. It is the outpicturing of that energy that knows of itself and knows of itself in form. So the whole earth really is that energy of spirit outpicturing itself as form. But, but, those people, all of those people over all of those years living on their card, for me, it actually activates the joy in the earth itself, right? Because the earth itself has those qualities just like we do. It is an outpicturing of God itself. So activating love in that place, activating the joy in that place, bringing forth all of those God qualities from the very earth itself. You can feel it. You can feel it. There is an energy about Asilomar, and I really believe it is because of all of the religious scientists that are there every year, over all of these years, just activating, calling forth from the earth itself, all of the love and all of the joy. And it's, and it's um, walking around the grounds, it's palpable. You can just feel it. You can just feel that this is a place of, of love. This is a place where love is always demonstrated, you know, and I have felt the exact opposite. So I kind of know it. You know, years and years and years ago, 100 years ago, when I was <laughs> in my 20s, I walked um, the, what was called Little Round Top, and it was the, one of the battlefields at Gettysburg. <sighs> 50,000 dead in that battle. And I remember as I was walking those, those fields, and they were beautiful fields trees and grass, and I mean, and kind of similar to a Silomar, just beautiful park grounds. But I remembered as I walked, I kept feeling sicker and sicker, and worse and worse. I felt like I was going to die at some point. The vibration, the energy of that blood-soaked ground just infected me. I felt like I was coming down with something that was horrible. It was the energy of death and suffering and pain and agony, and it was all around. It was in the very earth itself. And it was one of the worst feelings of my life, really. And as I left and I got farther and farther away from that battlefield, the better I felt. The ground's energy is activated there as well. But it's activated with the worst of us. The Battle of Gettysburg, 50,000 dead. And then I started thinking, Dunkirk, 88,000. Battle of the Bulge, 200,000. Aleppo, 45,000. The invasion of Ukraine, 200,000 and counting. We are the antidote to that. We are the antidote to that. It is our job to keep planting the peace in the earth, to keep planting the love, to keep activating the joy under our feet, to keep seeding wherever we stand with love, with compassion, with joy, with empathy, 
This is why we come together to remember who we are, to be that in the world. We go to Asilomar all the time. Well, we used to go every year from the 50s. We, we go every once in a while now. We do them at different places, which is good too, because then we get to see those places with our love and with our joy, right? Mm -mm. We continue to go to Asilomar, and we keep planting and replanting and reseeding that ground with love and joy. And everywhere we go, we do that. And that's our commitment, isn't it? To live on our card, to live on our joy, to live on our love. Now, if a small group of committed people living on the earth on purpose can do that on one spot, can do that in Asilomar, we can do it everywhere. We can do it everywhere we go. Have no other thought but the passion on your card while you are at home with your family. Have no other thoughts but the passions on your card while you are at work with your coworkers. And you transform your, your place of work into a place of peace, into holy ground. Have no other thought but peace and joy and love while you drive. And your path on the road will glow with love and joy. And the light of love in the, that you leave behind you in the lane, all those cars behind you will light up with the love and the joy that you are just leaving along the road. We want peace on earth. Be the peace wherever you go. Be the peace wherever you go. That's what a Silomar does for me. It reminds me. Oh yeah, everywhere we go is holy ground because we bring it. It, it, it comes from us. We activate it and it just comes up from the, the body of God called the earth as well. It'll, we will activate it by our presence there. It reminds me of what we can do how powerful we are when we are living on our card, when we are living our passions and we are living on purpose. You know, the first Asilomar retreat didn't occur at Asilomar. <laughs> it's really funny. The first summer camp retreat experience that religious science had was at uh, Camp Sierra, which was near Big Creek in the Sierra Nevada mountains in California. And the event was hosted by the IARSC, the International Association of Religious Science Churches, along with CRS, Churches of Religious Science. And it was August of 1953. And it was their first summer camp experience. And everybody loved it so much they planned to do it again. So, and, and of course, those of us who know a little bit about religious science history know what happened between 53 and 54. We call it the split, da -da -da -da, you know? We call it the split. This is when the IARSC split away from the Churches of Religious Science. They formed two groups. It's been like that for over 50 years, up until 2012, when we reunited, we reintegrated. But that's what happened between 53 and 54, and so they were separate. Uh, uh, summer, camp, summer camp experiences. Starting in 54, Ernest Holmes and the Churches of Religious Science met at Asilomar, with 1959 being the last year Ernest uh, was there because he made his transition early in 1960. And you know, it's really interesting. He, um, 
He wasn't in favor even of the term retreat. I don't, this was, this was an interesting thing. He uh, said it actually at the first camp experience in the Sierras. He said this, he said, generally speaking, we think of a gathering such as this as a retreat. But in religious science, a spiritual retreat is really a spiritual advance. We should acquire a greater consciousness in uniting our thought with each other in common cause and purpose for which we work and upon which our whole practice is based. A consciousness of the presence of God within everything and everyone. Our spiritual advance then is devoted to a deeper awareness, a higher perception and a greater realization of spiritual truth. The reality of the divine presence whose impulsion is love and a universal principle which acts as law. So that's what we do when we love on purpose, right? We activate that. We activate that, design, that divine presence and that universal principle. The love and the law, Ernest Holmes always talked about. Love points the way. Law makes the way possible. It's the thing that changes the, the, the conditions of our lives so that we can build our purpose in the world. The reality of this divine presence whose impulsion is love and a universal principle which acts as law. And that is the whole basis of our teaching, isn't it? Ernest Holmes used to say, there's a power and presence in the universe that, uh, that just flows through us and as us in the world and we can use it. Everything, everything proceeds from consciousness. Everything goes from the invisible realm to the, to the visible. Everything proceeds from consciousness to form. That's why we used to say that, you know, the, the cliche, the, I don't know what it is, a saying, a tagline, thoughts are things. Thoughts are things because they are. Because they are. Our predominant thought tends to outpicture as some condition in our lives. So if our consciousness rests on peace and on love and on joy, the universal principle which acts as law outpictures those conditions of our lives. It demonstrates those truths. Consciousness comes first. The Creative Mind and Success, which is, by the way, the second book that Ernest Holmes wrote, right? This is all the way back in 1919. He said, realize that behind everything that is seen is the silent cause. In your life, you are that cause. There is nothing but mind, and nothing moves except as mind moves it. We have agreed that while God is love, yet your life is governed absolutely by mind or law. In our lives of conditions, we are the cause. We are the cause of our own effects. So if we want peace, we need the consciousness of peace first, before it can even outpicture. We need the consciousness in our minds of peace first, and then we act peaceful, and then we are peaceful in our life, and then it changes the conditions around us to reflect that back to us. We have to show up as peace in all of our relationships. We have to show up as peace in order for those conditions around us to change. We cannot change the conditions by changing the circumstances, right? You know, the old saying about, you know, changing one condition to another condition is like 
like rearranging the deck chairs on the Titanic. You know, doesn't do that much good. Cause is what changes. It flows down and it changes the conditions. We don't change conditions and think that's going to change our lives. That's just rearranging. That's just swapping one condition for another condition. Like, like you know, if we want to grow vision, we want to grow vision. You want everyone to invite everybody into this. I want to invite everybody in the world in this. If they knew what we did in this room, this room, we we wouldn't have space big enough, right? for everyone who would want to change their thinking and change their lives. And if we want to grow vision, it's like spread this teaching, tell everybody about change your thinking, change your life. We don't do it by like changing the upholstery on the chairs, <laughs> you know? Oh, let's do that. That'll grow vision, you know? <laughs> oh yeah, there you go. Curtains. Let's put up curtains, John. What do you think? We should put up curtains. That'll bring people in. No, you don't do it by changing the books. You don't do it by, you know, changing things in the, in the form of the condition. You change things in consciousness. And then you let purpose lead the way, right? You build that purpose through the change of consciousness. We stand in principle and live on purpose. Ernest Holmes said this in the textbook. He said, just so far as we depend on any condition past, present, or future, we are creating chaos. <laughs> Just as long as we depend on any condition, we're creating chaos. Because we are dealing with conditions, effects, and not causes. Oh, could we but comprehend the fact that there is a power that makes things directly out of itself by simply becoming the thing it makes? Could we but grasp this greatest truth about life and realize we're dealing with principle, scientifically correct and eternally present, we could accomplish whatever it is possible for us to conceive. Life externalizes at the level of our thought. It externalizes at the level of our thought, so it behooves us to have the highest thought, doesn't it? The greatest thought about our teaching, about our lives, about the world in which we live. Living on purpose demands we are awake. We have to be awake for this. <sighs> Remember what's written on our card, even if it's not still hanging around our neck, right? Remember what's written on our card. I am here to be compassionate in the world. I am here to be brilliant in the world. I am here to be love in the world. I'm here to be joy in the world. Remember what's written on our card. And, and as we hold those important principles in our lives and we begin to live from them, from purpose, then the world around us begins to change. We live on purpose. We lay hold to this infinite power and presence and it outpictures as conditions. <laughs> one, of the, one of the things that um, we did, we had, we, I got the, and I got the book, right? I went to the place and I got the book. <laughs> Ernest Holmes at Asilomar. And one of the things I learned, this is like so good, I mean, it was so good to go to the workshops and learn all about it, was that Ernest Holmes gave a talk, and we all are familiar with it, it was called The Sermon by the Sea, and it was in August of 1959. It was the last talk he gave because he made his transition in April of 1960, so he never got back. So that last talk he gave on the last day of the Asilomar in 1959, was his last Asilomar talk, and it was called Sermon by the Sea. And then I find out that every last talk he gave at Asilomar was called Sermon by the Sea, which really cracked me up. I had no idea they were all called the same thing. But the, but the one in 1959 
that he gave is just spectacular. It's the last, it's the last part of this book. It's the last talk he gave. And part of it, he says this. He says, you are religious science. I am not. I'm I am only the one who puts something together. I do not even take myself seriously, but I take what I'm doing seriously. You are religious science. Our ministers, our practitioners, our teachers, our laity, you find me a thousand people in the world who know what religious science is and use it and live it as it is. And I'll myself live to see a new world, a new heaven and a new earth here. That's what we do. That's what we do. We live on purpose. We live our truth in the world. We live it so, so convicted that we change the very ground we walk upon. We create heaven on earth by being religious science in the world, by living our truth, by living on purpose, by living on our card. Thoughts are things, and they do change our lives, and that's what we do. Thank you so much.